0: Hey there, language lovers, Shannon Kennedy here, along with Benny Lewis for the latest episode of the Language Hacking Podcast, where we're chatting with Fiel Sahir, a polyglot, musician, and creator. In our conversation with Fiel, we cover how a long car ride led to Fiel's passion for languages, finding mentors and the role a good mentor can play in your development, the power of curiosity, studying music at a German university, learning a heritage language, and connecting with culture learning Chinese with the Language Hacking Mandarin book, what it's like living in one of the most multilingual cities in the world, and the powerful influence of community in language learning. If you enjoy this episode of the podcast, we always appreciate hearing from you. You can leave us a review at languagehacking.com review. Also, if you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast, then be sure to check out the extended version of our chat with feel only available to our Patreon supporters. In the long-form version of this interview, we talk about how Benny and Shannon's language learning philosophies have developed over their years of language learning, Fiel's future language learning plans, the influence music has on language learning, and how to learn languages without quote-unquote studying. You can find out more about our Patreon and get access to the longer versions of these episodes at languagehacking.com Patreon. All of the notes and resources mentioned in this episode will be available to you as a part of the podcast. Now let's get into our chat with Fiel.
1: The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com
0: forward slash 105. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, Shannon, and today we are interviewing Fielsa here, who has been learning languages for quite a long time. He's got a very interesting story, and I've met him a bunch of times at Polyglot events, and he helped me with a video in uh, New York. And most recently, he's actually even used my Language Hacking Mandarin book. So I want to hear all about uh, your story. So could you share with us, how did you get into language learning and how did that develop over the years?
1: Well, hey everyone, I'm glad to be here and share a little bit about that because I know language learning is really confusing. It's tough. And if you haven't heard Benny and Shannon talk about being Tarzan and caveman and all that, here's, here's a bit of inspiration, hopefully. So when I was around 10 years old, I was in Oregon where I was born with my family and we were on a family trip. And kids, you know, we hate car rides. We're always asking like when are are we there yet? Are we there yet? And then the whole car ride, my parents and their family friends, they were speaking in Indonesian and me and my sister were really frustrated and upset that we couldn't understand because we wanted to laugh, right? And so my dad very kindly translated everything for us. But every time he got to halfway through the joke, another joke was cracked and then so we'd have to start all over again. And that's when I realized and knew that I wanted to see the world in different colors. I wanted to see it uh, through an Indonesian lens, through an English lens, but it didn't culminate until three years later uh, when I started learning Indonesian, when I went to Indonesia for the first time in a while at that point. So this is the funny part that I've noticed with a lot of polyglots like Benny and Ollie Richards and a few others where we had a bad relationship with languages in school. And uh, this is a classic story. And so when I got to high school, Oh, I should say that when I was in eighth grade, grade eight, uh, whatever you call it, wherever you're from, uh, I had Spanish and I desperately failed. I couldn't conjugate. I didn't understand what nosotros was. And like, what does that mean? Why am I changing the ends of words? So I knew I never wanted to say Spanish again. Got into high school. I desperately wanted to get into Japanese class. And the assistant principal told me, no, you cannot because you're not in the language program. You're in law end of story. So my guidance counselor said, well, you have three choices. You have French, Italian, or Spanish. And I said, no to Spanish. Italian, I don't know when I'll ever use that. So I guess I'll settle for French. And that's when my life changed because I met uh, my French teacher, who is a woman from uh, Ivory Coast. And me being a freshman that was very excited about school and her being a very passionate person, was a great combo because that got me into being addicted to learning French. And so at the time, for all you, those that are listening and wondering if Benny's stuff is worth listening to, I was constantly following Benny in the early stages of his website, 2007, 2008, 2009-ish, because I I didn't know where else to go for information on how to learn and how to get the best techniques. Uh, And at the same time, there was another website called FrenchPod, which is known as ChinesePod now. Uh, their other languages have been discontinued, but their podcast kept me going. There was no advertisement. Um, it was really great and easy to listen to. And they broke down everything. And in between that and watching dubbed movies in French on my iPod at the time, uh, on the bus to school every day, I was able to learn French. And from there, I knew that I wanted to travel and I knew that I wanted to go to France one day, but I knew because I'm I'm an immigrant kid, we didn't have the funds for that so the option was just never go and only go to Indonesia to visit your relatives or a dream. And I told my mom, hey, I want to raise some money to go to France one day. And she said, no, just go to Google. And so my mom believed in Google before I did. <laughs> and from there, I found this organization called Pundi Suit and Travel, uh, which is based in Vermont. And I applied for their scholarship program. And one day I get a, a call on the phone and the person says, hey, uh, we have good news and we have bad news. Bad news is we can't send you to France like you applied for. But the good news is we could send you to Senegal. And I was like, uh, what's, what's Senegal? Why? Why I want to go to France. I want to go to Europe because only rich people can go to Europe and I'll never have that chance again. And I told my French teacher from Cote d'Ivoire at Recost, and she was like, no, you have to go. Don't say no to this. It would be stupid of you. You're going. And that changed my life. And that's when I spoke like Tarzan, spoke like caveman. And I was able to connect with the people that I was uh, with there. We were doing a community service trip, but I was unfortunately not open enough to learn about their language and their culture. And I just learned French and spoke French. And to this day, actually last week, I called my friend uh, that I met the first time I was there. And I realized it's been 13 years. I was 16 and now I'm 29 and I'm still connected with those people. And so that's the power of language learning. And I think I'll stop it there. So we can have some questions (laughs) in between.
0: So one of the common themes that I've noticed in what you just shared with us, as well as knowing you and the things that you post on social media and elsewhere, is that mentors play a really big role in your life. And you have this knack for finding really powerful mentors in different areas of your life and the different things that you do, whether it's music or it's it's languages. So can you talk a little bit about how you kind of figured this out, how you find these people and the influence that they've had on you and your language learning?
1: I will say the number one thing is curiosity killed the cat. Curiosity drives me. um, And I don't even realize it sometimes because it's just so natural to me. Uh, That's why I have so many books. That's why I know both of you. And I will just say, I was once told that there's this game called the Wikipedia game. And you start off uh, with, let's say you want to start off on the page about Germany. Let's just say Germany. And then from there, you want to get to the word coasters. And then the the point of the game is between the both of you, you and a friend, is to find who can get there fastest through all the links. And so one of my mantras that I like to say a lot is I leave no link unclicked. And being the the nerd, resourceful, curious person that I am, um, I will read things and. So actually, I have to admit too, I wasn't actually going to school in high school. I was busy on Benny's website. I was busy on Wikipedia. I just spent all my days on Wikipedia reading things over and over again um, and not really intentionally collecting these facts, but it has become an investment where now, uh, no matter where I am, I'm able to connect with people that I just meet. And that includes mentor figures, uh, people that are influencers or just the average person, whom is not an average person. Everyone has a story. Everyone has something special within them. And it's uh, you know part of our job to unlock that in ourselves and other people. But in particular, I'll share this story, actually. Uh, this happened in Berlin, uh, my very first polyglot uh, gathering. And so we're coming out of the hotel that, that we always used to go to. Um, and I believe this is 2016, I want to say. And uh, we get on the bus. And sitting next to me, or rather in front of me as I'm standing there is Alex Rawling. And I don't know if you would like me saying this, but, but one of the things I do is I don't go, oh my God, hey, it's you, you know? Benny, ah, I love all your books. And so what I said was, oh, hey, what's your name? And the guy next to him looked at me and said, you don't know who Alex Rowling is? Oh, I'm like, oh, you blew my cover, you know? And the reason was, is because another mantra that I have is I like to say that if you treat a celebrity like a celebrity, they'll treat you like a peasant. Now, that's obviously not completely true. But if you treat a celebrity like a friend, they'll treat you like one too. Um, And so that's my approach that I take with people. You know, if you want to connect with them in a way that they want to be connected with, it involves you also not putting them on a pedestal completely, but also showing that they are human too.
2: I definitely agree with that. And in terms of uh, like you were in Berlin for this event, but I think which are also in Germany to pursue your master's degree. And uh, how, how did that all work out? Were, were you actually learning through German?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's a mix of a lot of things. So I was doing classical guitar in Boston at the time. And I'll, uh, this is an honest truth. It was one of two schools that I actually got into. And uh, from there, I met my teacher, Elliot Fisk, who himself is actually a polyglot. Uh, which I didn't really understand at the time what that was and what that looked like completely. And so just seeing him speak, one, impeccable Spanish, German, and Italian, I was like, wow, this is really possible. But I knew I wanted to continue my studies in music. And so I said, hey, Elliot, how can I, where Where should I go? And he said, oh, study with my protege, uh, Joaquin Clare. who's a Cuban guitarist in Dusseldorf, Germany. I'd never heard of the place. Long story short, he got me in but yeah, so I was studying my, my master's there and it was in German. Um, but I was able to take classes in my, uh, school in the States to get me there. Plus a lot of already being trained through, uh, many stuff. And I, I you know, I keep plugging Benny, but this is the truth, you know, because back then not everyone had a website that was going, not everyone had agreed with, with the idea of speaking from day one. So I just went for it and You know, uh, another thing that Benny and Channing can both attest to is language learning is a skill in and of itself. We can't cook five star Michelin dishes if we don't know how to cook the basic, you know, pancakes or or whatever. It takes, you know, one thing at a time. And I'm learning that now because I'm just beginning to learn how to cook. And so by that time, I'd already accrued enough skill to know how to language learn. But You know, (laughs) this is another funny thing. I I studied German. It was very, very tough for me. Uh, Understanding cases just made no sense to me. I'm finally getting them a little bit now. How many years later? But when I was there, I went to a language school because in Germany, you have, uh, at least in my school, you had to get certified before you start your education at your institution. And uh, I had to get a B2 in German, which is, you know, an intermediate-ish level. And the range of which the points you had to have to have a B2 and pass was 133 points to 210, I believe. And I passed with a flying 133.5 points. So sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, you know, like uh, not every language is, is our, our best fit. But over time, it grows like anything that's worth investing in.
0: So you've given us a little bit of the history of your language learning with Spanish, French, and German, mostly European languages, but you had mentioned that you had originally wanted to go back and look at the world through the Indonesian language lens. And so, could you talk a little bit about going back in the process of learning your heritage language?
1: That was a beautiful process and it's it's one that is still going. You know, I will say that uh, amongst my people here, uh, Indonesians born in the United States and actually in other places, Canada and and the Netherlands that I've seen, it's very common that uh, people born outside of the country don't learn the the language. And there's a lot of political issues there, racial, racial issues that cause people to do that. But also certain cultures are a bit more pushy on the language aspect and ours is more on food in some respects. But, you know, when I learned Indonesian, I had to because back then nobody spoke English uh, when I went back. And I learned it just by talking with my grandmother's friends and my cousins and slowly but surely messing up here and there. And then them trying to explain things to me and then realizing that's not what they meant because their English wasn't good enough. Like they they said the uh, one word that they used was gaul, which means like cool in Indonesian slang. But then they said, no, it's funky, funky. And I was like, that doesn't sound right. Um, But I think the most important thing was it was able to change the way I viewed the world, change the way I understood people, and also to connect to my own people and heritage. So one thing I like to say in my classes in social work school now, when I have to do an introduction, is that my skin and my name and my face tell three completely different stories. My ancestors were a mix of people that left the Qing dynasty of China from one group that was looked down upon amongst the Southern Chinese because the other one being a more business oriented. Uh, so I come from Hokkien and, and uh, Hakka heritage. And by once they got to Indonesia, they mixed with the, the indigenous culture and became known as the Pranakan, which also exists in Malaysia and Singapore. But I also, my grandfather, my paternal grandfather was a native Indonesian from West Java but was adopted by a Chinese family at the age, a very, very early age, and then grew up in China. So he grew up in China and was the only, just to be blunt, the only brown kid for miles and miles and miles. And so I cannot imagine how much bullying he had to go through, but eventually he made it back to Indonesia, I believe sometime around after World War II or during World War II. And in that time, uh, he became a Chinese teacher. Um, And so, so like in terms of the heritage thing it learning Chinese which we haven't mentioned yet but has also been me trying to discover more and more of of what that is.
2: Oh that makes sense. And I do want to uh swing into the Chinese because interestingly enough both Shannon and I uh like worked together to create Language Hacking Mandarin and as it happened you happened to hold a copy of the book long before I ever did and Shannon's uh, ever did. And, uh, you, you sent that to me while I was on my way to Mexico. So any copies I would have gotten were delayed. So it was really cool to see you were the first one to actually hold our book and you used it, uh, like genuinely to help yourself with your Mandarin and you post up, posted updates and you're able to actually show your progress. So I'm very curious because of, of course, that integration with the language hacking Mandarin course, very curious to hear how that experience was and how, uh, if, if at all, you found the book to be useful and in what ways.
1: Yeah, so that was a wonderful opportunity and it was because I was messaging Benny and he was like, well, the best thing you can do is get it shipped from this company through the UK because it's not gonna come out till February next year. So I said, oh, a little background for everyone listening. The reason I decided to learn Chinese, now granted, I actually began learning it uh, the first time in college or uni university. And that was maybe 2013, 14, because of a joint program with Northeastern University. And when I learned it, it was so difficult. And it was straight up trying to learn everything all at once, which is like me earlier saying, you can't cook the five-star Michelin meal if you don't know how to cook pancakes. I don't know even know if it's five stars. It's like three stars, I think. (laughs) Um, So whatever I learned back then, somehow it stayed because i will say everywhere i go no matter where i am i will get stopped by someone and they'll start speaking to me in chinese and asking for directions and i just go "Uh," because again my face and my skin you know it it doesn't it doesn't add up for people they cannot consider the fact that i'm not uh, chinese from china and so it got to me eventually that i was like you know what? things need to change. And um, I originally learned it because I wanted to connect with my grandfather a little bit. um, And I did get to use it teensy little bits, but it it wasn't enough to actually to to be substantial or for him to really remember. But I picked it up again this, this past semester, this past year, because I'm doing a social work degree. And it's in East Harlem, in New York City, which is known as El Barrio. And right now it's got a lot of Mexicans, Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, uh, but there's also a growing Chinese population because they're being, how do you say, moved out unpurposely through gentrification out of Chinatown, New York City. And so they have to move out to East Harlem. And we have a food pantry every week, uh, which is great. Now, unfortunately, a lot of them, they don't know what's going on at all because no one is explaining to them what's going on in Chinese. And so there's lots of questions. And they'll come up to me and they'll say, hey, what what's going on? And uh, they, they're they saying that, but I have no idea what's going on. And maybe or once in a while, we we'll have a volunteer from another school and they'll say, oh, they're saying this, this, and this, and this. But one story I, I'll share with you is that there was one day we were in our food pantry and we were giving away turkeys. And I hope that the, this agency never hears this story, but, <laughs> but uh, um, we were giving away turkeys through lottery, uh, as is our custom every year through uh, around Thanksgiving time. And so a lot of our Chinese, specifically Chinese clients would come up because they have a WeChat group to inform each other what's going on with the food pantry. Because again, it's not in a language they can understand. And so one lady comes in and she is not on the list, the lottery list to get a turkey, but she's not leaving. And we're like, what's going on? And so the person next to me starts saying, hey, you need to leave now. And it was after, long story short, we got threatened Supposedly, but it was, it was a false alarm. Um, and so tensions were a little bit high. But I noticed as she was speaking in Cantonese, like, I kept on hearing the word iPhone, iPhone. And I'm like, what's she saying iPhone for? We're, talking, we're here for turkeys. And uh, the, the person next to me is like, hey, you need to leave now, gets up and tries to get her to go out. And I look over to my left, and there is a white iPhone right there. And I'm like, oh, Lord, this is why I need to learn. Mandarin. Um, And I know she speaks Cantonese, but a lot of them, uh, so I'll say this a lot of the people that come there are either Fujianese speakers, Fujonese, Toishanese, Cantonese, but not Mandarin. However, I have to learn Mandarin mainly because it's the one that is the most common for all of them. And also because there's there's just no resources. And uh, uh, as much as I love Glossico, it's a lot of work to use their material. <laughs> so that's why I picked up Benny's stuff, because uh, when he came out with the, it's a language hacking Italian, that was a great way for me to just go straight into speaking all those years ago. And I was like, you know what? I need someone that believes in speaking from day one, because I'm just not going to push myself. Spoiler alert to all listening. I'm unfortunately not the studious type. I know a lot of things i read a lot of things i'm always reading but i cannot from the life of me study and it it bothers me but that's unfortunately just how i'm wired and so the way that i've been doing this is by using uh benny's book because it's giving you real life phrases that you will actually use but also on top of that pairing that with italki and speaking uh so that's how i've mainly been using my languages
2: like you were saying you take advantage of italki teachers and uh, as you know, I'm a big fan of uh, of finding online teachers. But something we were saying just before we started the call is how it can be living in New York. And I feel like I, I didn't quite get into the multilingual scene in New York. I was dealing with uh, some personal problems while I was there. But I feel like from what you've been saying that, you know, you participate in this uh, thing in East Harlem and you have the opportunity to speak to people who speak various different dialects of Chinese. Like, what has your experience been living in one of the most multilingual cities in the world? And how do you take advantage of opportunities to potentially practice these languages in the real world?
1: That's a great question. And I think Shama NYC is much better positioned to answer that. (laughs) But um, I don't know him personally, but maybe one day I'll talk to him. But New York City being one of the most multilingual places. In fact, uh, it's worth noting that New York City is actually where a lot of languages come to die because a lot of people leave their homelands and because of persecution. And so there is no longer spoken uh, languages like Gutierrez, which came out of Central Europe. Uh, I know that's a dicey term for people sometimes. uh, Is one of those such languages. A lot of indigenous languages come here. uh, People leave their their native lands um, and settle here for opportunities or just uh, because they can't any longer stay where they're from. Now, in New York City, for me, because I for lack of a better term, learn the normal languages that people learn, like uh, French, Spanish, German. I haven't really used it in a way that uh, was beneficial. I spoke these languages and speak with with tourists when I'm in the middle of Manhattan for you know on a random Saturday. Um, I will love helping people. Uh, you know, I've even <laughs> one day I was helping this this family from somewhere else in Spain. Um, I'm forgetting right now where, and you know, they tried to offer me money. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm just trying to get you to where you're going. And then, um, just things like that. So I'll, I'll use, you know, those common languages. Um, Indonesian for me, my, my community is here and I live in Elmhurst, Queens, which is the hub of Indonesian culture in New York city, which is also the place where the coronavirus really got really bad in 2020. Like one of the first Indonesians possibly in the world that died uh, was a family friend. But all that being said, um, I, I do take advantage of the people that I meet in the street. There's lots of uh, people that speak Spanish in my neighborhood. Um, and so I'm able to converse with them and surprise them because again, my my face and skin doesn't don't match my story. Indonesian. I, I speak whenever I meet one of my own people and just to connect with them. But also sometimes it's a good inspiration for the kids that are younger than me or my generation uh, because they they see that, oh, it is possible to to learn our language. it's not it's not impossible. Uh, in terms of Chinese, um I haven't used it all too much because my vocabulary has been, you know, very introductory or limited to, uh, oh, please take these uh, food pantry bags, or uh, your appointment is at nine a m. <laughs> um, but I, I have been able to befriend a few people. Um, and they told me things like, oh, your parents raised you really well. So that's been nice. And that's uh, probably the best examples I can give.
0: So community and connection and friendship have played a really important role for you along the way. Can you talk a little bit about how community has affected your language learning more, in particular within the language community and not necessarily the greater community? That could be a different point that maybe you share as well.
1: Yeah, I think one of the fun things about the uh, language community polyglot community um is that every person that waltzes in is a celebration of what's possible and and wh- why do i say that it's because whenever there is a language events of any sort whether it be lang fest or polyglot gathering or um polyglot conference or the new thing that chris broholm started everyone's sharing their story their story of being um quote unquote the loser or the one that wasn't good at languages in school or Maybe they just were always interested. It just, it's just so inspiring. And then one of the people that I've recently been thinking about a lot that has been inspiring, that I've uh, followed and befriended as well, is uh, Dr. Richard Benton. So he, he's, uh, he gave a talk at the Polygon Conference in New York when I wasn't here. <laughs> I was in Germany already. Um, and he was talking about the cultural responsibility of learning languages. And so you know, he speaks Somali, for instance, or, and Oromo. And people will ask him like, "Why the heck do you speak Oromo or Somali?" And he goes, "Well, because I live in Minnesota." Duh. Um, and what he's saying by that is just to go back to Benny's question earlier, which is, you know, how has does your community that you live in impact the way you 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 use language? And so he sees it as a wonderful way for him to get uncomfortable and for him to experience what's it like, what it's like to be someone that doesn't speak English as a native language uh and in this particular case it's immigrants or refugees one of the stories he shares or one of the things he mentions is that like you know we have these somali immigrants and one particular story he had was that they worked in a like a fridge because they were uh just distributing foods and goods and things like that but it was inside a fridge and they're not from a from a cold climate and so they come home and they're always sick and you know they work 12 hour shifts and we expect them to learn English because they're in America. That just doesn't sit well with him. It doesn't sit well with me now because I'm learning to understand what that's like. And actually learning Chinese has been very revealing to me just how much, um, you know, if I want to use a buzz term privilege I have as a native English speaker uh, that these people may not necessarily have. And, and me seeing how tough it is to just be in somebody else's shoes. So it's been like learning stories like that or seeing uh, people that are creating a life for themselves in their businesses and or creating retreats or creating uh, book materials to help other people learn languages better uh, has been really fun, I would say.
0: One of the questions that we always like to ask our guests that come on the podcast is what is your definition of language hacking?
1: Oh, this is a good one. Um, I will cheat and say that uh, I, I, uh, <laughs> man, I hate to keep plugging you, Benny, but I, I just inherited a lot of my language learning philosophy from you, because I, I, that's been the, the the best way to do it. And actually, you know, I, I will say that I got to credit my dad as well, because the guy he speaks a local language called Sundanese, not Sudanese, but Sundanese. Uh, from West Java. And that was because he was surrounded by a lot of people that spoke the language. And he just picked it up and just started speaking it. And until this day, he uses it when he meets people from that area and they love it and he connects with them. And then he told me about how he learned a Creole language called uh, Bahasa Manado, which comes from uh, Sulawesi, all the way up near the Philippines in Indonesia. Um, and he used to sit listening to the Monad radio go every night and just write down all the words possible. And then whenever he saw a Oni's friend, he'd just start speaking and he didn't really care. And I'm like, wow. And so, you know, I guess both my dad and Benny are my inspirations for Speak From Day One, except it took me a really long time to accept that. (laughs) I I wanted to get everything right. And I remember when I was 16 and in the middle of West Africa in a village, I was afraid to say things. I was deadly afraid of saying anything at the Charles de Gaulle airport when I was in Paris, you know, on transit. Oh, man. And even on the plane, you know, they're like, would you like water or, you know, orange juice? And I'd be like, oh. <laughs> so, yeah, I would say speaking from day one is is definitely my, my thing.
2: Excellent. Well, thank you very much. This has been a fascinating interview. We'll make sure that uh, we have links in the show notes to your socials and everything else so people can find you. And uh, appreciate you sharing your story with us.
1: It's always a pleasure, it's always uh, motivation. And I just hope that whoever's listening that this can continue to spur you on because language learning can and is for everyone.
2: Absolutely. And on that very positive note, I will wish everybody listening a very happy language
0: learning. So, at the end of each episode, Benny and I like to share a little something that we took away from our chat with our guest. And so, Benny, we'll go ahead and start with you. What did you take away from our conversation with Feel?
2: I like something you said near the start, where language learning has helped him to see the world in different colors. And not just from his own experiences that he's been able to interact with so many different communities, but uh, when he was recalling his father's experience and being able to speak uh, Sundanese. That this would open up uh, his uh, ability to integrate with locals in West Java. And it just, it really does for me as well, change and like make the world three-dimensional and more colorful that I can interact with these very different cultures. So I liked that he said that, and uh, I hope others listening feel that same kind of push in their languages that it makes that the world just feel like it's more colorful. What about you?
0: I would have to say I lean towards the conversation we were having about mentors. And even if the person that you're talking with isn't necessarily officially a mentor, just having someone that can kind of serve as a sounding board and give you direction on whatever it is that you're doing or aiming to do. And it could be your language tutor. It could be a fellow language learner. It could be someone who's in a different field, but has experience with languages in some way, shape or form in their lives and can provide you with a second perspective or an outside opinion on what you're doing and if it's working for you. And sometimes just, I don't know if you've ever found this, Benny, but when I'm talking through something that I'm struggling with, sometimes I kind of fall on the answer myself in just having the opportunity to talk through it with someone. So in a way, just Finding a mentor or someone who can serve as a sounding board for you in the progress that you're trying to make. And I would say that that is my takeaway because I tend to be the type that likes to try to do everything on my own. And I definitely think that for me personally, I could benefit from having someone to kind of run things by and work through things with. So once again, if you enjoy this episode of the podcast, you can do one of two things. The first is leave us a review at languagehacking.com slash review, or you can join us on Patreon where you can listen to the extended long form versions of these podcast episodes at languagehacking.com slash Patreon. And until the next time, happy language learning.
2: Happy language learning.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast.
1: Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Addict, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis, Shannon Kennedy, and Elizabeth Bruckner, and produced by Katie Pasco. With special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. Theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash
0: podcast. Thank you for listening and happy language learning.